Welcome to The Honest Pour with John Lennart, where we go beyond the bottle to connect you with the people and places that make each wine so unique. Pitted among the cathedrals to wine that dot Napa Valley sits Charter Oak Winery and Vineyard, a unique place and experience. Charter Oak is a true mom-and-pop operation. It's here, in a small craftsman house, that Guido Raggianti first made his wine in the early 20th century. It's a tradition that his grandson, Robert Fernucci, continues today. Using Guido's original tools and techniques, Robert is making small batches of Zinfandel, Cabernet Sauvignon, and Petit Verdot, and aging them in the tiny basement of the house. I sat down with Robert in the kitchen to learn about Charter Oak and to taste his intriguing wines. This episode of The Honest Pour is sponsored in part by Fooditor.com, bringing you the stories of Chicago's chefs, restaurants, and people who make food all over town. Fooditor.com. Hi, I'm John Leonard. Today I'm here with Robert Fenucci of Charter Oak in St. Helena, California. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. You know, Charter Oak isn't a name you hear. You know, you think Napa Valley, and you hear all these huge names, people making 50, 100,000 cases of wine a year. That's not Charter Oak. Charter Oak is definitely smaller production, off the beaten path, even though you're kind of right off of Highway 29. Tell me about Charter Oak. Well, Charter Oak is a, a small boutique winery that was started by my grandfather in the early 1950s. We make about 1,000 cases, 1,000 to 1,200 cases. Uh, we're limited because we can only fit you know, 40 to 45 barrels uh, down in the winery cellar uh, underneath this old historic house. And so we basically, uh, small production, I basically sleep with the wines and um, therefore I'm, I'm always tasting and sampling and blending. And uh, my production is limited by the facility, but uh, the upside to that um, is that the wines are exceptional and, and they're really handcrafted because it affords me the opportunity uh, to make you know excellent wines on a on a smaller basis. Now you hand press and everything here, right? Hand press, old hundred year old basket press, old uh, redwood tools that my grandfather made for uh, punch downs. Uh, nobody makes wine like this uh, in the Napa Valley. So, so your grandfather started Charter Oak. Tell me about him. Tell me you know where he came from, why he started making what he was making. Well, he he was born in 1889 in Lucca, Italy. And uh, as a as a young boy, he, he told me that at 12 years old they would you know bring wine in a in a milk container <laughs> to school, and they were actually wow. drinking wine you know during lunch at huh. at school. Uh, so he, he learned the, the tradition of winemaking at an early age from his father and grandfather. And uh, in the 1920s, about 1924, he and his uh, two brothers uh, immigrated from Lucca to San Francisco and then also up to Santa Lina, but they were making wine in their, in their basements in San Francisco like a lot of Italians did uh, in those days. And then they bought a place up here in Santa Lina and they continued to you know, have uh, they, this vineyard here at the back of the property they would make wine from. And then they'd also get uh, grapes, second crop, you know, primarily Zinfandel. Um, where they were able to go out after they, the wineries, the big wineries picked the first crop they would go out there and glean the second crop, and that was primarily Zinfandel, Petit Syrah, and they made some exceptional uh, wines. We still make uh, wine from the same vineyard, uh, second crop. Uh, one of our wines is from second crop Zinfandel, the same places that my grandfather has been picking since the you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and 70s, and 80s until he, he died in 1986. 
So how did you get involved in the business? Then? Well, I was always doing something, you know, as a little kid, you know, whether it was helping him, you know, pick grapes or uh, watching him do the process. But it wasn't until 1986 when we were actually living here in St. Helena that I learned the process from start to finish. I was on a severance package from a uh, brokerage firm uh, that was uh, headquartered in New York. And while I was looking for a, a new job, because they had moved the department back to, back to New York, um, we were living up here, uh, saved some money with uh, Layla and the two girls at that time. David wasn't born yet. And uh, it was the summer of 1986, and uh, you know we it was like 100 degrees, and it was like the end of September, and it was time to go out and pick second crop Zinfandel, <laughs> which we did. So we went out and picked it. My grandfather was 98. Uh, he was lugging, you know, five-gallon uh, buckets of grapes in both both hands, left and right hand. Uh, would be walking probably close to 40 yards or so to the to the truck. Uh, we picked probably about two tons of grapes, uh, brought it back uh, over a several day period. We picked two tons of grapes, uh, brought it back here. Uh, he crushed it. Uh, we punched it down with old wooden bats. At that point, he was fermenting in open top. 60 gallon barrels and uh, he'd leave it on the skins for oh, about seven days probably the sugar got down to four five six percent residual and uh, then he'd press it out in the old hundred year old basket press uh, you know punch downs three times a day all natural yeast for you know fermentations um, and then we'd press it out and we would bucket it down into the cellar underneath here and um, underneath the house, and um, we I think we made about four or five barrels that year. So that's you know that's a couple tons of grapes, and then he would top it, and it was kind of an interesting process because he would leave the bungs open because it was still fermenting, because uh, he you know the bricks was down to six you know so around six bricks, so it would bubble over and it it would it'd be like a symphony going on. You'd hear popping. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> as you're as you're down there, and sometimes the you know some of the wine would kind of bubble, some of the must would start bubbling over the top, which is almost like a, a fining mm -hmm. uh, of, of the wine. All the solids were were kind of coming to the top, and slowly boiling over uh, the sixty uh, gallon um, barrels. And then he had a system that after forty days, he would put the bungs on, and then at forty at four months, uh, he would he would rack. At, at that point, so it was 40 in four months, uh, and so he had a, it was really down to a kind of a, a set way of, of making wine, all organically, all gravity flow, and then after that harvest, he died right then, right after, you know, we racked it, and he passed away, and it was, you know, he kind of handed down the process from start to finish. I'd never experienced, you know, picking the grapes and actually getting to the uh, to the uh, the racking of the wine and letting it settle, I was always good at you know drinking the wine, but never <laughs> never making it. So. so, have you changed much in the winemaking process from no, that? No, not at all. We still do the same uh, natural yeast fermentations. We still use the uh, you know the hundred year old you know redwood bats to do a kind of a vigorous punch down. Uh, which really makes the wine a little more silky, satiny, and more approachable uh, at, a, at a younger age. And we still use the 100-year the you know, basket press, so we get a very gentle press. We don't get the 165 gallons per ton that a commercial industrial wine sure. will get. We'll get more like 145 uh, gallons uh, per ton. We still do, you know, everything's done by gravity flow. 
um, again, you know, all all natural yeast, uh, you know, fermentation. We leave it. Only thing we do a little bit different is we leave it on the skins a little longer, uh, more in the three week, you know, to four week range. So a little more extraction, yeah. a little, little more body. A little more extraction, and then by the time it's getting down in the cellar for for you know barrel aging, um, it's primarily it's got you know it's it's dry. Mm -hmm. Now it was it was originally thought that. You know, particularly when your grandfather was making the wines, that Zinfandel was this uniquely American grape. Well, now we found out it's from some Croatian hybrid. Um, why did he pick Zinfandel? Well, because actually, because the second crop was uh, was in abundance. So they, you know, there was all these old vine head prune, you know, uh, vineyards, and they, you know, there was an abundance of, of Zinfandel because then, you know, when the Cabernet grapes were planted, they were, you know, more on a trellis system, mm -hmm. and they were able to, um, you know, they didn't leave, as, you know, as much second crop, or they would thin it. And then part of the reasons is that you know for some period of time there was a, a white you know the white Zinfandel sure. program. So what would happen is these you know these and we're talking about major large wineries that have you know 50, 100 acres, 200 acres of Zinfandel. So they would when they were making white Zin they would pick that early, and the second crop wasn't even close you know to being you know ripe. So they just they just let it hang. So it's a matter of economy, though. For us, it was great because you know you get five. You know, when I started picking grapes with him, I think it was in the seventies. You know, and we get several tons of grapes. You know, without having to, you know, for free, he'd get he'd get the rights to go on and, and pick. Mm -hmm. So that was really, really, really fortunate. To, <laughs> so that's why it was primarily Zinfandel, because it had a lot of these are older vines, and they, they had a lot of second crop that they didn't you know thin. It's a, it's a new it's a new era it's a new day, um, but what happened is that they the wineries discovered you know once they kind of switched from a, a white zin program to a red zin program they they started learning that the second crop is you know can be very very you know very flavorful um, and sometimes better than first crop and so they started picking the second crop, um, but they never can go out and pick all of it so that's why we go back out there and <laughs> sure you know sure but they say as a as an italian you can make a, a living where a white man can't so <laughs> <laughs> and your, your wines I, I know you have right here on the property you have a small vineyard out back yes, mm -hmm. we have an a, acre. you have an acre out back and where else are your where else is your food coming from well we we source fruit from you know we, we're making cabernet so we for, so, you know source some from santa Elena, uh rutherford uh, Stag's Leap, um, our Petite Syrah, we, we source from, from Rutherford, the Hain clone, uh, also from St. Helena, we're making uh, Zinfandel Old Vine Monteroso uh, in, in Sonoma. Now that's a historic vineyard, but Very that's going to change now, right? Yeah, oh yeah, things, times are changing. Yeah. So tell me what's happening with Monteroso. Well, Monteroso, the winery, Martini Winery owned the Monteroso vineyard, and they were acquired by Gallo, and they're now bringing all the you know the, the their fruit in house because they're such a, a large uh, winery, so they're they're pretty much phasing out. So 2014 will be the last uh, Charter Oak Monterosso. Yeah, 2014 is the last Charter Oak Monterosso, and it's wow. It's, it's a, a long good. relationship that you've had with them. I had yeah, 15 years, 15 vintages. So I'm I'm really happy that I have you know a library 
you know, going back, you know, 15 years uh, of exceptionally great Montero. So yeah, I have some Charter Oak in in my collection for sure. And when I'm picking out a Charter Oak, it's got to be a special occasion for me to open up one of those Monterosos. <laughs> That's uh, uh, likewise. <laughs> but I think I got enough of it where I can. I can open up a few mm -hmm. bottles here and there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've got uh, Cabernet that you're making. Is, is your Cabernet is sort of a blend from up and down the valley? The the Guido Fenucci outback is Zinfandel. Yeah. The the, the there's Zinfandel, um, which goes into the Zinfandel mine, which is all from from the property, which is uh, Zinfandel, Petit Syrah, some Alcante, Boucher, oh, cool. and a little Carignan uh, blended in. And then we acquired the property next door and that's you know Cabernet uh, Petit Verdot yeah so you just planted a thousand vines there yeah yes mm -hmm. uh, and tell me what what you planted there now uh, Cabernet primarily uh, a you know, nice amount of uh, Petit Verdot and a little bit of Malbec and what's your plan when those grapes come online in a few uh, years you know Cabernet you know just a, a Cabernet is, it, is it going to be like an estate uh, bottling yeah, estate or bottling and it's you know it's probably going to be you know 85 percent Cab and then you know, 15% Petit Verdot and, and Malbec, which is a, a really nice blend. And then we'll continue to make the, the estate, you know, Zinfandel, which again is Zinfandel, Petit Serral, Conte, and uh, Carignan. Now, 75% Zin and 25% of the, the other varietals. So that's probably going to expand your production fairly it's significantly, gonna, it's huh? Help. Yeah, I think it's going to, you know, expand the production. And then we still, you know, source fruit, you know, our Zinfandel in Santa Elena, Calistoga. Um, and of course, you know, here in, in uh, you know Napa Valley, uh, Stags Leap. So now I've been down in the basement here in this house, and I've <laughs> seen where you store your barrels. Are you are you gonna have room for this new wine? Well, I think you know we're gonna keep to that forty to forty five barrels. So you know whatever we can do down there, we will. And we're so just, you're just gonna change your production it's just around quality. a little. You know, you, you just you, we're really a quality you know high-end production you know we're not into the you know you know quantity we're into into quality for sure yeah thousand twelve hundred twelve hundred cases you're not making a ton of wine no no it's that small you know and you can really you know you could really it's it's handcrafted it's like you know like making a fine soup i mean you're really you know hovering over that stove and making sure you're you're doing all the right things at the right time you know, it's a challenge to make great wine. It really is. You got to know what you're doing, and you constantly have to be sampling and blending and knowing when to, you know, rack and do certain things. Otherwise, it can get away from you. When it comes to winemaking, are you it? Are you the a beginning, middle, and end of the team, I, or do you have a team with yeah, you? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm basically, you know, beginning, middle, and, and end. But my son David, you know, comes out and uh, he he's a, a wine consultant and a vit, you know viticulture consultant, oh, okay. vineyard consultant down, you know, down south. Um, and he comes up uh, during the harvest and kind of does some of the heavy lifting, uh, but I'm, I'm, you know, basically shepherding uh, him in the process. But he's a, a very a fine winemaker, you know, in his own right. Uh, he's been making wine now for seven or eight years. So he's, oh, that's great. He, he follows the same, you know, same recipe. And, Interesting. Exactly how we, you know, how yeah, I taught him. Kind of the old, Guido, old how, like Guido did it. Yeah, kind of the old world way. Pass it on, and then I kind of get more involved in the, you know, the blending and and the bottling. It's. Did you study analogy or anything in the wine world at all, or just is this all learned from Guido? Well, it was pretty much I learned the art of winemaking from Guido, which really makes a, you know a huge difference. I, I don't think I'd ever be a winemaker unless I uh, learned that art and hands-on 
um, you know, reading it from a book, it's, uh, it was almost laughable because I, I did read books and, and it was like, you know, we were making wine completely <laughs> the opposite of what they were saying you should, how you should be making the wine. You know, you're crazy. You know, what, are you, what are you doing? You know, natural yeast fermentations and all this sort of thing. Yeah, that was a wild thought tools, back then. And these old tools and, and, and all that. And then, you know, I, then I followed up with, you know, chemistry classes at, at uh, UC Davis. And I, I read a lot about winemaking, and I, I learned how to use, uh, you know, the, the labs, and you know, get all sorts of you know tests done, uh, whether pH, you know, acids, alcohol, uh, residual sugar, you know, mm -hmm. that type of thing, malolactic fermentations, you know, volatile acids. So you kind of learn the chemistry of it, also. Uh, but first, you know, it's the art and the passion. That I think you should start with, and whereas when you're you, when you go through a, a program at UC Davis, they're really learning the science and, and really not the art. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the wines they make are you know are okay. They can be homogenized too, <laughs> yeah, though, right? Exactly, exactly. Great. Well, should we taste something? Sure. What yeah. are we gonna start with? Let's start with the the Roberto, the Zinfandel. This is sort of um, a very elegant, uh, almost in a, kind of an Italian style. Uh, Zin yeah, and the alcohol in this is around fourteen five. Okay, so still uh, doesn't have a beastly color to it. It's uh, not heavily extracted at all. How was twenty fourteen overall for you? Oh, I think fourteen was you know an exceptional vintage. You know, I think the twelve was fantastic. I think followed by the thirteen, and then I think the fourteen is by you know probably the best of the three vintages. Uh, 11 was problematic. Uh, if you're a good winemaker, you could make good wines. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I was at a tasting a while back, and it was a vintage retrospective that was 96, 06, 11, 12, 13. And consistently among them, my favorite was the 11s. I think there were some great wines to be made that year. Of course, I prefer a little bit greener style uh, when it comes to mm -hmm. particularly Cabernet. Yeah, challenging, but I think there's a lot of quality to be had in it. Yeah, it, absolutely. And that is sort of reminiscent of the nine, uh, 88 and 89 vintage. Uh, it was a little bit wet. Uh, the, the grapes didn't get quite as ripe. Uh, but boy, when you taste those wines, you know, 10 years later, 15, they're very well balanced and they're they're spectacular so so this is the 2014 uh, Roberto Fenucci yeah, all um, crops in. right all second crops in and this is um, all all the wines that you know that I make all the 14 they're all completely dry mm -hmm. so this is a really food friendly wine this goes really well with food it's, got it's not going to over nice bright red fruit tones mm. fresh a little spicy mm -hmm. it's got some a little, spice. a little, a little almost black pepper to it mm -hmm. yeah a little smokiness again this is more of an earthy style uh, more of what I would call an Italian, you know, real bright acid. Yeah. You know, sometimes sometimes people think Zinfandel and they think, ooh, it's going to be heavy and fruity and cloying, jammy. And, jammy. and, and this is not that. This has no, this a lovely balance to it. It's really a good example of what Zinfandel can be and how, in the winemaking process, you can manipulate it in something, yeah, real food friendly. Mm -hmm. Very bright. Yeah. Great. Okay. So we're going to move on out to the. Let's see, okay, here's the here's the Zinfandel mine. This is the estate Zin. And these are all limited product, you know, we're talking you know, 100, you know, 100 cases mm -hmm. of this. Actually, 200 cases of the uh, Roberto. And available through your website. I know you have a wine club. Wine club, and uh, through the website, we're, you know, basically based on last year's numbers, we're 
about 98% direct to consumer, so. 98%? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So, you don't have to deal with any of those silly uh, distributors. Yeah, we have, you know, <laughs> New York is, you know, we've got a really good uh, distributor there, uh, Mark Snyder with Agile Share, and, and uh, so that's primarily where, you know, where we have, if there's any wholesale, it's, uh, uh, you know, through it. So, basically, through, outside of outside of New York, if you want to buy yeah. uh, uh, Charter Oak, you're going to be either buying it here at the winery or online through the, through the club, or do you, is there enough left that you could purchase outside of the club? Well, uh, yes. I mean, you can go on the, you know, on the, on the decide and see what's available. And buying it, but but right now we're we're in a shortage of wine, and we we barely have enough to. Uh, keep our wine club members. Yeah, and I'm here in yeah. 15 we're, and 16. We're kind of short vintages to begin with. To yeah, to begin with, and, and we've got a really good wine club that's just about just about full. And I'm getting a little nervous because after this wine club shipment uh, coming up in April, we really don't have any more wine until we bottle the, you know the next vintage. So it's, it's this isn't a bad problem. No, it's not a bad problem. <laughs> so usually what happens is that yes, you can buy it online, but Layla, you know, when they taste the wine, just she's about 99% of the people sign up for the wine club. So Wow. So they come, they taste, they become wine club members. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where, you know, where we're heading. So it'll be strictly allocated here very, very soon. You know. Great. So this is the Zinfandel Mine. This is Zinfandel Mine. Uh, wow, what a vibrant color to yeah. that wine. And this and this is the wine with a painting of Layla's on the on, on the label. It's easy for me to pick in my wine cabinet because I know I have all my Charter Oak wines together, and that's the one that has a, a, the different label. It has a lot of spice. and um, Yeah, the nose is sort of spice first, yeah. and then the fruit sort of starts coming at you. Yeah, and it's got, you know, it's a little more fruit forward than, than the Roberto. It's a very intense wine. Mm. It, it is fruit forward, but... It sure is backed up with the spiciness again. Lush texture, tannins are, are there, but not overly so. I mean, you know, just just enough to let you know it's the red wine you're drinking, you know? Yeah, um, it's got the little petite, little more petite Syrah, you know? Um, so it gives it a nice nice balance. It's nicely framed with the with the petite, and a little bit of Carignan and Alcante. What, what is it that Alcante brings to this? Because I'm, I'm so intrigued by that, that it's not, you know, it's. Not something you're drinking out of Napa Valley every day. What 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 do you think that grape brings to this blend? Uh, the the Alcante. Yeah. No, I, I just think it, it brings you know kind of a, a structure, kind of a, a, a dryness. Mm-hmm. You know, it brings some some nice color uh, to the wine. It doesn't overpower the Zinfandel because it's you know it's a small percentage. We're we're only talking about you know two percent. The tannins are a bit bolder on this wine. That's right. Than, than on the Roberto. Yeah, this this will both wines will age very nice. We're gonna go try the Matilda, 2014 Matilda. We kind of explained here a little bit that you know Cabernet, Petit Syrah, Petit Verdot, and you know some Zinfandel. This is uh, very very elegant, very smooth, drinking well. I think we're down to just ten cases of this now. And how much do you make of this? Uh, about same about 100, 100 cases or so. Five cases, yeah. So, so 125 carousels is like it's like a barrel, right? Oh no, it's a little bit more. It's well, about five barrels. Five yeah. barrels. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and you know we bottled this in uh, November of last year of of, uh, of uh, 2015, and you know we're we're sold out of it already, and just we're pretty much so, we're sold out of all these wines basically. I mean, wow. whatever, whatever we have left is going to go out into the the April you know wine club shipment. The nose isn't quite that spiciness that we had with the two Zinfandels now that we're moving into the Cabernet world. A little more cranberry and cassis and 
more of a, a Bordeaux style. Very dry. Mm, it is. There's there's an earthiness to it. Yeah. And a spiciness to it that you don't expect out of a necessarily, you know, the brain these days wants to go to Napa Cabernet and what, what, what its uh, stereotype Maybe unfortunate stereotype has become. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, and this is not that wine. This this has got a beautiful acidity to it that 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 it doesn't get flabby. It doesn't get overbearing in the fruit. It's bright. Well, coming from you, John, I take this, that as, oh, as a great. Well, thank you. This is uh, <laughs> this is a wine that wants food. I mean, the tannins aren't ripping, but they're there. And again, it's it's maybe it's a stereotype, but to me, Italian wines tend to have great acidity and bright acidity. And it seemed to be coming through in, in, in the style of wines that, mm-hmm. that you're making here. Do, would you agree with that? Is, that, is agree, that a goal that you're I trying agree, to? Yeah, I think, you know, you follow, yeah, the traditional way that Grandpa learned, Nono Guido learned. And, you know, everything you do makes a wine different in character. And so when, when you, uh, you know, crush the grapes and you have natural yeast fermentations, you have old wet, you know, bats that really really break up you know the skin to juice content i mean it's you know you hit you hit the you know the the fermentation bin you're 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 punching it down pretty pretty nicely and uh um, so you get an incredible amount of extraction as opposed to let's say a pump over yeah where your industrial commercial wineries are, are basically just pumping the juice over the skins and here you're you're really macerating it you know like making a soup you know yeah you're, you keep stirring it and punching it down and then when you you know use the the, the you know the basket press um, uh, that gently you know presses out the juice and you don't get all those really uh, intense uh, bitter tannins and seeds aren't being you don't have any of that going on here breaking, at all it's not breaking up um, and then you know you you don't put any chemicals in the wine I mean there's over hundreds of different chemicals that could be you know put into wines when you make industrial wines and so we don't even you know we don't use any yeast we don't use any you know malactic fermentation starters um, so what you get is the one of the you know the cleanest form of, of, of winemaking and so all those steps all those things that you do differently uh, distinguishes your wine from you know the more commercial industrial you know made wines there's there's a there's a, there's a little bit of bell pepper going on in here too that I like again that that takes us away from what that stereotypical napa cab is these days to to a, a wine with more finesse yeah absolutely great good you like that this is the uh, 2014 monoroso ah, the last one the last vintage. what a shame yeah what yeah. a shame So how did you, how, I mean, your, your wines are all Napa, except, except Monte Rosso. That's how, right. how did that relationship get started? Uh, that relationship started, I was uh, met Mike Martini back in 1990, and he was a client, became a client of my law practice. And uh, he was also paying, playing in a rock band with <laughs> my, my law partner, Steve. And uh, he always kept talking about Monterosso and how great the Zinfandel and the old vine. And I kept asking and, you know, couldn't get it. But then somebody decided, one of the wineries decided not to uh, buy it that year. They, they kind of discontinued it. And it was like just like a two-acre, four-acre plot at the very top of the Monterosso vineyard. Hmm. And so he, he split it. He had promised Kent Rosenblum uh, 
you know, Zen. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. They're synonymous with Zen. Yeah, right. and then uh, he promised, had promised me, so we ended up splitting that little four-acre block. I was getting two acres, and he was getting two acres. And 1999 was, was the first year. And Monterosso, you know, it's a beautiful vineyard. It's planted in the 1880s. But the fruit has a lot of unripe, you know, you know, you get some of the fruit is coming in at 34 bricks and wow. others at 21. So you really... Oh, wow, crazy. Yeah, you really know, you need to know what you're doing because you can, uh, but it, it sugars up too. You know, it may be 26 bricks in the tank and then within a few days it's now at 32, 33, 34. So you, you need to know how to blend, you know, you got to hydrate and, and otherwise your, your, your wine's not going to go dry. Sure. And you can have some real problems. Oh yeah. Down running with, with, uh, all natural fermentation. Do you run into that problem at all? Or? Is, what's interesting is the yeast off this property are extremely vigorous. Um, I've done, you know, I had a wine in 2003 that fermented dry at 17.4 and I've had ex- Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. and then I've also made you know uh, you know let's say the wines you know made the wines here on the property and then made the wines at another wine facility the same grape so let's say I take you know two two tons and make it here and two tons and make it you know at a different winery and the, all the wine that was made here went dry Whereas the wine that was made, uh, you know, using yeast natural yeast was so vigorous enough work. there. Well, I mean, you got this yeast. You have a very happy yeast environment. Yes. Downstairs yeah. here. Uh, yeah, you have that. Uh, you know, so, you close to seventy years. Yeah. Of, of winemaking here. Right. <laughs> All right, so tell me about the Monte Rosso. Well, the Monte, again, well, it speaks for itself, yeah, sort of, doesn't it? Old vines in, you know, really uh, kind of a cherry, uh, you know, really intense. Strawberry, um, but also some some dark fruit from some nice raspberry, uh, some smoke. Um, just a very elegant. Again, this you know it's a dry uh, Zinfandel, but it, it kind of has some sweet overtones. Mm-hmm. So it, even though it's dry, it still has that kind of jammy character. But again, good spice. Um, it's 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 again. You think. Zinfandel, you kind of think in your face, smack you with the fruit. This is this is there's there's this elegance to this. It's a little bit more demure mm-hmm. uh, than 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 when you think of uh, a, a California Zin. Mm. Pretty texture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this wine's about the fruit. Yeah, this yeah. wine's about the fruit, isn't it? It really is. Okay, all right. So next on the on the list here is the the Guido, a big boy, two Petit Syrah vineyards, old vine. You know, Cabernet, uh, Petit Verdot, and this is really a favorite. People, uh, you know, try this and they're just, you know. <laughs> no, this is named after Guido, so there's, yeah. a, there's a legacy here in this, this wine. It speaks volumes. Why, why, why this wine named after Guido? Well, I, you know, it was his 20, he died in, in 1986, and it was 25 years later in, in 2008. It was a 25-year anniversary of him passing, and I decided, well, I'm going to make a wine you know, that's dedicated to him uh, for that year. And I, it was only going to be a one-off, you know, I was just going to do it for that one year. Uh, but everybody liked it so much that I said, geez. And why'd you go Petit Syrah? Um, you know, what it is, is it, it's, it's not always Petit Syrah. It, you know, it, it's whatever I think makes the best wine. Some years it's been Zinfandel, <laughs> primarily. And, and some years it's, you know, primarily Petit Syrah. One year it was half Petit Syrah, half Petit Verdot. Another year was was Cabernet. 
it's almost like a shot in the pop, you know. That you, so yeah, okay, yeah, sure. So what you feel that year makes the, the, the what I like, what I like to drink. And yeah. would you call this like the Tete Cuvée, the the highest? Well, I mean, it, it is, uh, except for the the Cabernet, you know. The, sure. Then that's the you know the, the right. most expensive. But well, yeah, 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 yeah. You're dealing with yeah, a different yeah. <laughs> different thing there when you're dealing but, with Napa Cab. But this is usually a blend of you know it, it you know one grape. Well, usually you know, always two. I mean, if it's a Cab, it will still have some Petit Verdot, maybe five percent. But uh, you know, so it's going to be at least two grapes um, in different proportions. Um, it could be 95% of one and 5% or 50% and 50% or, you know, 40, 30, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 30, you know, that kind of thing. So. This wine is a little more uh, reach out yeah. and grab you than, than your other wines. Yeah, yeah, Sunday afternoon, big roast. Right, right. Super spicy, black pepper, mm -hmm. but lush fruit. And it's, you know, actually these wines are 14s or so young still. Um, yeah, these are infants, aren't they? Yeah, and so that you know, you actually open them up and try them the next day, and the day, next day hour, and they they actually taste better because and that's you know if that, you have the willpower to leave it three yeah. days. <laughs> yeah, so you, yeah, and that's the problem we're having too is that we sell out so quickly that the wines that we're selling really you know are, are not really need you know several more years of, of bottle age because they they keep getting better. Yeah, this wine is. 20 years and you're still going to be drinking it beautifully. Okay. Uh, if I had to ask you about Charter Oak and, you know, it's got this great history, though it's, you know, not widely known, you small production, what's the soul of the place? What's the soul of Charter Oak? Well, the soul is, is the history. It's uh, my grandfather Guido. It's the old world uh, techniques. It's, you know, all the Italians would would come up here and uh, you know my grandfather would you know they would buy the wine you know that type of thing and and uh, there's just a lot of history in Seoul and and uh, you know it's the old world process uh, he never he didn't speak English he was uh, kind of the the European guy you know lived off the land grew all his vegetables fish hunted made his grappa made his wine and, and uh, made incredible incredible chef you know he's a chef in the Italian army in World War One. Sounds like so, a guy I'd want to know. Yeah, people would come up in busloads, you know, uh, you know, when I, you know, in the you know in the '60s and you know probably before that, before I was born. But it, you know, it was just it, it kind of got this mystique and kind of cult, you know, type type following over the years. And people find us. I mean, that's what kind of the beauty of this is. It's a discovery, and people love to discover something that's unique. It has authenticity. It has history, and so. We really, people come to us, and it's always interesting to know how people find us, you know. Yeah, that's great. So, so what's next? 2014 George, Cabernet, Stag's Leap, about 15% Petit Verdot, only 100 cases, completely dry. Again, that's some big masculine color, very delicate. Yeah, and this is from a, a little uh, an acre, a 1.25 acre plot owned by John Oliveri, and he kind of manicures this Italian guy. His family's been in the, the valley since the 20s. Stag's Leap, that's a fancy neighborhood over there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> who's Uncle George? Oh, oh, that's a good question. Uncle George is uh, Layla's uncle in France, and they own a... Okay. a, a 
and Layla's your wife. Layla, 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 Layla Layla's wife. your wife. If you come to Charter Oak, you find your way down Charter Oak Avenue, right in the heart of St. Helena, you'll find a little teeny kind of craftsman house. And the first floor is Layla's art gallery, and it's absolutely stupendous. Her art is uh, uh, renowned worldwide. And uh, you come and you meet Layla up here, and she'll tell you about her art. Then you come into the kitchen with the, uh, a wood-burning oven, which I'm sitting next to right now, keeping us warm in the house. Um, so that's who Layla is. So that's who Layla, Layla is. Some of her art. That actually, these, this label, the Zinfandel Mind, is what she designed. Which, which is her old style of her art, I learned. Now she's changed. She's, she's completely changed. She does some of these. This yeah. is kind of fun, fanciful. And, then, and this is Uncle George. They, like I said, they have so a, named a after Uncle George. And so, so he has early childhood memories of visiting him on their 5,000 acre farm in France and he had a hat and he would smoke a pipe or something and so that's how, so how got Uncle George with his hat smoking a cigarette yeah. there so that's her earliest memories of George spicy or herbal yeah. or more herbal, herbal I little, think is the right a little mint is what I uh-huh. I kind of get a little what Martha's Vineyard and a mint tone oh don't tell Joe Heights that he oh that's <laughs> <laughs> he, he's, Joe, Joe Heights said uh when someone would say his wine smelled like eucalyptus or his, his Martha's Vineyard yeah, smelled like eucalyptus, eucalyptus, he'd say, my wine doesn't smell like eucalyptus, cat pee smells like eucalyptus, and oh, my geez. wine doesn't smell like cat pee. Yeah, now people love that. Yeah, That's yeah. That's what, you know, the trait. But yeah, no, it's like people like that. They seek that out, so. Mm-hmm. It's character. Yeah. Um, but that's Napa Cab, isn't it? Yeah. It's not shy about what it is. It's uh, fruit and big tannin and big acid. This is a... This is a lay it down and come and see me in five years kind yeah. of wine, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely, yeah. Is, is that what you intended when you oh, made yeah. it? Yeah, it's it's just yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's young and and uh, it's alive and you know we'll give it five to ten years of uh, a barrel uh, of bottle aging for sure. But it's still you know approachable now and it's it, you know it's very much enjoyable now and it's nice to pop one open you know every you know once in a while to kind of see how they're. Wow. Terrific wines. Yeah. What a lineup. That's a, a quite a few wines, That's too. Quite a few wines. Yeah. <laughs> uh, seven, seven wines. For, 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 for one yeah. guy to be down there in this little uh, basement yes. moving barrels around. Alchemist, uh, chemist. <laughs> yeah. And not every year we do seven. It really de- Again, it really depends on you know what Mother Nature gives us and what blends we like. and uh, So, yeah. Sure. Well, Robert Fernucci of Charter Oak, um, thank you so much for your time. If you're ever in Napa Valley, don't just blast past uh, Charter Oak Avenue in St. Helena as you cross the railroad tracks to get into downtown. Definitely turn ter- turn to the east on Charter Oak. Come down to the end, and uh, please pay uh, Layla and Robert a visit. It's a it's an absolutely unique wine tasting experience in Napa Valley, and one that you really shouldn't miss. Robert, thanks for your time. Well, thank you, John. It's been been my pleasure, and I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed the wines, and I'm glad I was able to enjoy them with you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. For John's tasting notes on the wines from this episode, go to www.thehonestpourpod.com. Make sure you catch every episode by subscribing to The Honest Pour with John Lennart at iTunes, Stitcher, or the Google Play Store. Also, be sure to like us on Facebook at The Honest Pour with John Lennart and follow us on Twitter at The Honest Pour. This has been The Honest Pour with John Lennart. Music by Kevin McLeod. 